Good afternoon. I think you can take your seats. My name is Professor Jonathan L. Walton. I'm the Plummer Professor of Christian Morals and Pusey Minister here in the Memorial Church. And I would like to welcome you all here today to the Memorial Church of Harvard University, a space of grace in the center of Harvard Yard for all of God's people. This space of grace that is committed to both veritas and caritas, truth and love the expansion of knowledge, and a commitment to service. We come here today to celebrate the incredible class of 2017. Job well done. Nevertheless, we are also aware that no man or no woman is an island unto themselves. Family, friends, and faith communities have invested in you materially inspired you intellectually, and enriched you spiritually. We are all here because of someone else's sacrifices. In fact, this is the history of the Memorial Church. This building was dedicated on Armistice Day, 1932, to honor women of Radcliffe and men of Harvard who lost their lives in the Great War. Since that time, unfortunately, the list has grown. We now recognize along these walls the names of those lost in World War II, Korea, and Vietnam. You will notice the names, Divinity School students, of two students from the Divinity School. Edgar Raymond Atterbury, who graduated from HDS in 1925. Atterbury was called into active duty in 1940 while serving as the pastor of Grace Methodist Church in Seattle, Washington. The other is Adolf Sonwalt. He studied in HD, at HDS in 1924 and 25 and was a member of the German Army during World War II. This is why you will notice that enemy casualty is etched next to his name. Further research in recent years has painted a different picture of Sandwald, however. The Lutheran pastor was far from a Nazi. In 1934, he published an article that denounced Nazism's view of racial supremacy. Sandwald was affiliated with the Confessing Church movement that protested Hitler's Third Reich and Sanwald's congregation was a part of an underground network that hid Jews from capture. When Sanwald was drafted in 1942, the German army would not let him serve as a chaplain due to his sermons which were critical of the Nazi regime. In fact, they sent him to the front lines, and within a year, he was killed during an air raid. I offer you this illustration class of 2017 for two reasons. First, HDS has a long-standing tradition of cultivating public servants and moral leaders for our nation and our world. The world needs you, not simply because you've earned a degree from Harvard, 
but rather the world needs your service and your selflessness, your compassion and your courage. Second, like Adolf Seinwald, the presumed enemy combatant, do not assume that your labor will come with accolades and awards. The world would just as well label you an enemy combatant. But in the words of Zora Neale Hurston, if you want that good feeling that comes from doing good things for other folks, then sometimes you have to pay for it with abuse and misunderstanding. Therefore, class of 2017, may you be inspired by the names on this wall. May you be inspired by this space. May you find inspiration in this multi-faith service and know that we are all inspired by you. God bless you, class of 2017. Congratulations. Thank you very much for that uh, introduction and thank you for hosting us uh, here at the Memorial Church. On behalf of the whole HDS faculty, it's my great pleasure to welcome all of our graduating students and you, their family members and friends, to this service of celebration and thanksgiving. Many of you have traveled from all over the United States and from distant parts of the world to be here, and others of you have achieved the even more difficult task of negotiating the Cambridge traffic and finding a parking spot. Please allow me to be the first to congratulate those of you who will graduate tomorrow, our wonderful class of 2017. We, your faculty members, are very proud of you and all that you've accomplished during your years with us, and we very much look forward to watching and benefiting from the work you will do in the world after you leave us. Following the conferral of degrees by Harvard University's President Drew Faust out here in Tercentenary Theater tomorrow morning, We'll gather again under the tent on the Harvard Divinity School campus green tomorrow afternoon to award your diplomas. But before all that happens, we are gathering with you this afternoon for this one last service of prayer, meditation, and above all, thanksgiving. And one last address from one of our own faculty, Professor Stephanie Paulsell, the Susan Shulcross Swartz Professor of the Practice of Christian Studies. As I am very fond of saying, the last chapter of my favorite novel, George Eliot's Middlemarch, opens with this sentence, as the novelist in the best Victorian tradition bids farewell to her own invented characters, as if they were real people she had just come to know. She writes, quote, every limit is a beginning as well as an ending. Who can quit young lives after being so long in their company? and not desire to know what will befall them in their after years. I feel the same way about our students, and um, I am very confident that whatever will befall this talented, inspirational graduating class will have the effect of making the world a better place. So may you two join in what George Eliot called, quote, deeds of daring rectitude and in scorn for miserable aims that end only with self. Only a Victorian can think of daring rectitude. 
Of all the graduating classes around Harvard this year, or even throughout the entire country, I have particular confidence that this class, all of you, will be contributing to daring rectitude in a world that sorely needs it, especially now. This time last week, I was sitting where all of you are sitting, celebrating the graduation of my son from NYU Law School, the culmination of nine years of higher education, which has left me proud but very broke. <laughs> I call it the degree deficit program of the International Monetary Fund, um, <laughs> though they have a much smaller budget. I know many of you empathize deeply with this emotion. As I listened to the graduation speeches that day, as you are now, I wondered if those making them really believed what they were saying, or whether this was just another one of those rituals we engage in to mark transitions and get one class out and another one in. Watching the mad scramble in my son's residence to beat the deadline for evacuation made me wonder if that is really what was going on. But I have to say the speeches were heartfelt. Here was a group of very high-achieving law school deans and circuit court judges declaring how deeply they believed that we live in a country of laws, however imperfectly framed and executed and that this was a moment in our history when those laws needed to be treasured and defended against anything or anybody that would undermine them. They encouraged their graduate and class of 500 students to devote their lives to the highest calling of legal service to our country and to others, not just to themselves and their clients. Now, I don't always believe what lawyers tell me. Can't afford to. But I was struck this time with their sincerity and I couldn't help but think that this graduation service was one of countless thousands across our country this month, held by medical schools, schools of public health, government schools, liberal arts colleges, and so on and so on, all pledging themselves to making the country and the world a better place from the particular vantage point of their own professional training. Here was a great surge of talent, and it happens every year. So what about us? What do we bring that is distinctive, especially at this moment as we celebrate our 200th birthday? You are the special class. I glimpsed an answer to that question the next day when I visited the memorials at the World Trade Center and the Oculus train station, which opened in March last year. Those of you who have seen it will know that it's a bullion design is meant to convey soaring doves in flight a symbol of peace in a place disfigured by violence. Some critics think it looks more like a dead dinosaur carcass, but I prefer the doves. In this beautiful space over the past few weeks, the artist Jonathan Horowitz created a participatory art installation called 1612 Dots, which was designed to be transient right from the start. It has already been taken down, so you can't see it. For three weekends in May, Horowitz turned the Oculus into a dot painting studio. He asked ordinary passers-by to paint black dots. They were given strict instructions to paint an eight-inch solid black dot using only the tools provided to them, namely thick black paint, a paintbrush, and a canvas. Each time a dot was completed, it became part of the exhibit. So the, the exhibit changed constantly with the addition of every new dot. The project brought strangers together from all walks of life, 
for one common purpose, and they had fun doing it. People came as unique individuals. They sat next to strangers they'd never met before, and they created a community of artists and of dots. As it happens, none of these dots is a perfect circle. It's hard to draw a perfect circle. And they're all different from one another, almost like fingerprints. I wish I could show you a photograph of the finished exhibit in the beautiful white space of the Oculus, the 1612 dots exhibits stretches into the distance as a kind of infinity pole, celebrating the individual difference of all its contributors and the collective creativity. The exhibition has a few explanatory lines to help the public understand it, which I'm sure you're glad of. First, it states that there are 1,612 dots, 8.64 million people living in New York City, 579 people living in North America, and 7.4 billion people in the world, all divinely unique and equal human beings. Everyone paints with a different hand, everyone speaks with a different voice, and everyone creates something, and something unique. The next line in the explanatory poster is a quotation from the Declaration of Independence that every man and woman is created equal. Then finally, there's a quotation from Audrey Lorde, the poet, feminist, and civil rights activist, who states, quote, that it's not our differences that divide us. It's our inability to recognize, accept, and celebrate those differences. No two dots are the same. Not one of them is perfect. And individually, they may seem insignificant, but collectively, they make an arresting exhibit. So that's a kind of artistic parable for our school, and you will see it in display in this service. I am delighted that in true HDS fashion, we are coming together today across the many spiritual and religious traditions represented in this graduating class. And this service will not look like any liturgy or ritual that many of you have ever experienced before. Rather, it will look and feel spiritually like the class that is right before us today. Varied, eclectic, vibrant, talented, equal, and decidedly diverse. So thanks to all of you for helping us to commence our commencement exercises together in a spirit of gratitude, joy, and unity. And when we are done here today, after the class photo on the steps outside the building, we'll continue the celebration with a reception and a communal gathering under the tent on the HDS campus green. So we hope you will join us there. Please come after the service. So congratulations, class of 2017. And thanks to all of you who have loved and supported them all of their lives. It really does take a village. So class of 2017, our very special bicentennial class, we're thankful for all you have accomplished already and for the difference we know you're going to make in the years ahead. Thank you.
How is your soul today? Are you afraid, angry, overwhelmed, calm, lost, focused, grieving, healing, tired, tired of being tired? You are fabulous, and you are here, kissing history. Are you unemployed, underemployed, homeless, uneducated, undocumented? You are fabulous, and you are here, kissing history. Do you live with depression, anxiety, debt, wealth, addiction, cancer, HIV, and the weight of history? You are fabulous, and you are here, kissing history. Do you identify as a Christian, a Muslim, a Jew, a Hindu, a non-believer, a refugee, an immigrant, a stranger? You are fabulous, and you are here, kissing history. Are you trans, cis, queer, gay, bi, straight, brown, white, yellow, black, mixed, single, partnered, divorced? Are you both and? Are you neither nor? Are you everything? <laughs> you are fabulous, and you are here, kissing history. You are fabulous, and you are here. We are fabulous, and we are kissing history. Offering obeisance to all learned people in the universe. Namo Arihantanam, Namo Siddhanam, Namo Aryanam, Namo Uvajhyayanam, Namo Loe Savasahunam, Eso Pancha Namo Karo, Sava Papanashanam, Mangalanam Chasavesim, Padamam Havai Mangalam. I bow to Arihanta. I bow to Siddha, I bow to Acharya, I bow to Upadhyaya, I bow to all saints. Spirit of life, come unto me. Sing in my heart all the stirrings of compassion. Blow in the wind, Rise in the sea, move in the hand, giving life the shape of justice. Roots, hold me close, 
wings set me free. Spirit of life, come to me, come to me. say a few words um, about our choral selection. Harry Huff, um, our dear colleague and friend who died so suddenly in November, uh, Director of Music at Harvard Divinity School, um, was my close colleague and friend um, in 2004 in Memorial Church, uh, right here where we worked together before moving on uh, to be Minister of Music at Old South Church. Um, there's so much to say about Harry. Um, but I think it suffices to say that he was one of the most extraordinary musicians I've ever met or worked with, but more importantly, was one of the most incredible human beings with such a, such a wide heart and such a love for humanity. His great friend and mentor, Calvin Hampton, the wonderful composer, one of the great 20th century American composers whose life was cut so tragically short in the AIDS epidemic in New York in the early 80s, um, wrote this next selection, um, a hymn setting of Psalm 23, um, and the tune name is Huff, um, for his friend and pupil at that time and colleague Harry Huff. It's a lilting, beautiful setting of the psalm, as so many are, but I think it also captures Harry's personality so beautifully. Um, easygoing, caring, and generous. So we offer this as a tribute to Harry and indeed to Calvin. I think they're both up there possibly raising a glass and I know the heavenly choir is in very good hands uh, with both of them, thank you. Thank you. 
Never err from truth, never err from dharma, never neglect your well-being, never neglect your health, never neglect your prosperity, never neglect the study of oneself and the exposition of the Vedas. Be one to whom a mother is as God, be one to whom a father is as God, be one to whom a teacher is as God, be one to whom a guest is as God. Let your actions be uncensorable, none else. Those acts that you consider good when done to you, do those to others, none else. Namo, foremost sublime and most venerable root and lineage masters, pray, inspire us to become just like you. Oceanic host of the three jewels, the three roots, Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas, inspire us to become just like you. The profound meaning of the five definitive sutras, tantras, and pith instructions, the subject at hand is precious bodhicitta, relative and ultimate. In their common aspect, the two bodhicittas are the six perfect actions. In the common end, the extraordinary method and wisdom of the outer and inner tantras. In particular, they are the supreme vehicle of the highest and most secret great perfection, a unity of primordial purity and spontaneous presence, the precious and most blissful mind of enlightenment the wisdom of compassionate awareness. This great perfection is the naturally uncontrived, the singular, most sublime, and ultimate path traversed by the Vidyadharas, Bodhisattvas, and Buddhas of the Three Times. Pray bless us both and all beings, our very own parents, that it might arise perfectly within us. Bless us such that when rich and in good circumstance, or down and out, when strong or weak, happy or sad, sick, dying, or taking birth. In fact, at all times and in all circumstances, we may recall and actualize twofold bodhicitta. Whatever difficult circumstances befall us and cause us obstacles, be they arising from inside, outside, or in some secret way, may this profound dharma be our friend and help us on our way. May all negative conditions be taken as the practice. And more to the point, pray bless us that when we come into contact with them, they may prove to be the catalyst for a deep, and meaningful enhancement of our practice and path toward awakening. Reading from Luke, the fourth chapter, verses 16 through 21, Jesus came to Nazareth where he had grown up and went according to his custom into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read and was handed a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. 
He unrolled the scroll and found the passage where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring glad tidings to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim a year acceptable to the Lord. Rolling up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue looked intently at him as they said to him, today this scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing.
Truth is the foundation of everything that has been created. Let truth be also the foundation of all your works, inward and outward alike, and above all, the foundation of your prayers. Let all your life, all your thoughts, all your desires, all your works be founded upon truth. How must we look upon the gifts of intellect, feeling, and freedom? With the intellect, we must learn to know God in the works of his creation, revelation, and providence, and in the destinies of men and women. With the heart, we must feel God's love and heavenly peace, and must love our neighbor, sympathize with him in joy and in sorrow, in health and in sickness, in poverty or in wealth, in high esteem and in low. We must use freedom as a means, as an instrument wherewith to do as much good as possible, and to perfect ourselves in every virtue, that we may render unto God fruits a hundredfold. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Wadduha. والليل إذا سجى ما ودعك ربك وما قلا وللآخرة خير لك من الأولى ولسوف يعطيك ربك فترضى ألم يجدك يتيما فآوى ووجدك ضالا فهدى ووجدك عائلا فأغنى فأما اليتيم فلا تقهر وأما السائل فلا تنهر وأما بنعمة ربك فحدث صدق الله العظيم In the name of God, the most gracious, the most merciful. By the morning brightness and by the night when it grows still, your Lord has not forsaken you, nor does he hate you. And the future will be better for you than the past. Your Lord is sure to give you so much that you will be well satisfied. Did he not find you an orphan and shelter you? Did he not find you lost and guide you? Did he not find you in need and make you self-sufficient? So do not be harsh with the orphan and do not chide the one who asks for help. Talk about the blessings of your Lord. And as all have not faith, Seek ye diligently, and teach one another words of wisdom. Yea, seek ye out of the best books, words of wisdom. Seek learning, even by study and also by faith. The lyrics to this song are in your bulletins and there's a refrain that repeats throughout, come healing. 
And we invite you, at the very end of the song, we'll, we'll take that last come healing of the spirit, come healing of the limb. And we invite you to join in as our great chorus, calling in this healing into our world. I'll let you know, I'll give you a come healing. <laughs>
Dean Hempton, dear colleagues, treasured alumni and alumni of our school, family members, friends, mentors, beloved companions of our graduates, and members of the class of 2017. Good afternoon to you all. And to the families and friends of our graduates, may I say on behalf of the faculty that it is a particular joy to welcome you here. Sometimes when a class is going really well, when we are deep into our questions and really listening to one another, it is almost possible to feel your presence in the room with us. These students often brought you with them when they sat down around our seminar tables and opened their books. They remembered that it was often in your company and in conversation with your experience and your history that the urgent questions that led them to Divinity School first took shape. We hope you will feel at home with us because you have been a part of the conversations going on here since your student first arrived. Now to the class of 2017, you look magnificent in your finery, very dignified and a lot more rested than a few weeks ago when you were living in the library and waiting around outside of faculty offices for your senior paper orals and your dissertation defenses. By tomorrow afternoon, you will all be Divinity School graduates. <laughs> Amen. But what does that mean? The world outside the walls of Divinity School is not always able to say, but rest assured, anytime you've gathered for a meal with others and someone in the group wants that meal blessed, all heads will turn toward you. <laughs> Trying to get out of this by saying, but I didn't do an MDiv or I mainly studied critical theory will only slow things down and annoy the people who want to eat before the food gets cold. So my first bit of advice for you is no matter what degree you did or what your area of focus was, keep a blessing in your pocket. <laughs> then you will always be ready. Or keep Carrie Maloney on your speed dial. <laughs> she will always have a prayer for you when you need it. Graduation is always such a bittersweet moment for teachers because it reminds us of the cyclical nature of our vocation. We are forever saying goodbye to our beloved students, forever being reminded that as you step out into new spaces, new communities, we will remain here and soon get ready to start again with a new group of students to whom we will also one day bid farewell. But this year, I feel that we, your teachers, are not just watching you from the sidelines with pride, but standing alongside you at our own threshold. This is our bicentennial year, after all, 
And with 200 years behind us, it's time for us to get ready to step out into our future. It's not just the long history behind us, though, that makes me feel this way, but the intersection of that history with this present moment. If you are graduating tomorrow with an MDiv, then you most likely began your first semester of study at HDS just a few weeks after Michael Brown, unarmed, was shot to death by a policeman in Ferguson, Missouri. And all of you began your last semester of study at HDS the day after the inauguration of a new president whose administration has been busy ever since throwing the fragile beginnings of a reform of our criminal justice system into reverse, breaking up families caught in the widening dragnets of immigration and customs enforcement, and proposing a budget that is spectacular in its cruelty to the most vulnerable people in our society. In this perilous time, the distinctions between teacher and student, your work and our work, have seemed more fluid than usual. This moment in history makes a claim on us all. The novelist Virginia Woolf once wrote that even with war coming, writing still seemed to her to be the thing most necessary to do. You've spent a lot of time thinking about the work that you feel is most necessary to do in these days as you've chosen your classes and your field education sites and the topics for your dissertations and your senior papers. This is a question we heard a lot from you. Am I doing the work that is most necessary to do? Am I putting my best energies where they can be of most use? Am I being true? to my commitments, to where I came from, to what matters most to me? Is my work the act of resistance that I want it to be? One of the things I will remember most about you, class of 2017, is that you not only posed these questions to us institutionally, asking HDS, how HDS would respond to the senseless killings of black people by the police, or to the Trump regime's travel ban, or its threats of increased deportation. But you also asked us these questions personally. Especially in the wake of the election, I found myself in office hours not only talking with you about your vocations, but also being asked by you about my own. How are you thinking about your work in the wake of this election, you asked. Will it change what you teach or how you teach, what you write about and how you write about it? What is the work that you think is most necessary to do? I remember reading an interview with Tim DeChristopher, a soon-to-be MDiv graduate at HDS, just before he began his studies. Tim was already a well-known climate activist. He had already served two years in a federal prison for an act of civil disobedience. He was already the subject of a documentary about that act. 
He was asked in that interview, why is going to divinity school your next step? And he answered, because the question for me is starting to shift from how do we reverse climate change to how do we remain human as these changes overtake us? Tim's answer has stayed with me and it shapes the answer I am groping towards to the question of the work I feel is most necessary to do as a teacher and a student of religion in these days, to bear witness to the multiple and radical possibilities that our humanity holds. When Ralph Waldo Emerson addressed Harvard Divinity School graduates in 1838, he urged them to cast behind you all conformity and acquaint men at first hand with deity. What he seems to have meant by this memorable phrase is that he wanted those graduates to be so human in their interactions with other people that they opened a space for others to stretch out their own full humanity, to coax out what he called their timid aspirations and trampled instincts, to let their doubts know that you have doubted and their wonder know that you have wondered. Everyone, Emerson believed, longed for a few real hours of life. Everyone, he said, loves to be heard, loves to be caught up into the vision of principles. So listen and offer a vision, he urged those long ago graduates sitting in the Divinity Hall Chapel. It is the responsibility of those who have the word divinity trailing along behind them to make room in the world for encounters that are real that touch down on the things that matter most, that draw out the most radical possibilities of our humanity. We are living in a time of trampled instincts about what it means to be human. We see those trampled instincts in the executive orders that sort people by religion and nationality we see them in United Airlines' decision to use state power to drag Dr. David Dow out of his seat and down the aisle of their plane, leaving him bloody and concussed so that they could seat their own employees. We hear those trampled instincts in Officer Darren Wilson's testimony about why he shot Michael Brown, in which he described the young man as a demon who seemed to be bulking up to run through the bullets like a character in a comic book. Human beings can't run through bullets unharmed. If we think they can, there is something dangerously wrong in our understanding of human being. All the religions we study at HDS have cultivated ways of understanding what it means to be human that resist these warped views. This is not to say that religions themselves aren't capable of diminishing the human. Of course, they are perfectly capable of doing that. But I think it's hard to study religion 
and have your understanding of humanity narrowed. I'm not saying it's impossible, because all my colleagues are here and they'll correct me if it isn't impossible. <laughs> but I do think you would have to work at it. Because studying religion requires us to do things like learn a new language or two or three, which quickly shows us the limitations of our familiar ways of speaking about the world and sometimes illuminates dimensions of our life that our own language has obscured. It requires us to think comparatively, which illuminates both the family resemblances among religions and the distinctive differences in the ways in which human beings become acquainted with de deity or with reality or with the mysteries of their existence. Studying religion requires us to think historically about the rituals and practices that people pass down from generation to generation that render the ordinary things we do by virtue of being human sacred, eating and drinking, bathing, resting, working, dying. It requires us to think ethically about what we owe one another. It requires us to think theologically, even mystically, to feel our ways along the edges of human existence and to wonder with others from many times and places what might be beyond those edges, just out of our line of sight and what a life that integrates the known and the unknown might look like. Studying religion opens a window on the endlessly diverse ways we humans have of inhabiting our humanity. This has certainly been visible in your work at HDS, class of 2017. I think of Kenny Rice's senior paper on the theological underpinnings of mass incarceration, in which he insisted on the lively diversity of black life, something that has to be narrated and brought to life over and over and over again in a nation in which white supremacy has depended upon a static, monolithic account. I think of Cora McCold's work on the body, grounded in the mystery that we both are our bodies and also more than our bodies. I think of Ali Jablonski's study of the ways human beings find and cultivate sacred space in their bedrooms, in their gardens, in the stairwells of hospitals, in coffee shops. Or Jadiel Perez's work on laughter and how it works like a jackhammer on our tired old notions and awakens our bodies to new ways of being. Or Carling Griffith Sekou's exploration of the sacred text of black lives in ritual, in protest, in art. Or River Olson's cultivation of a new form for her ecstatic, erotic, transfeminist theology or Eric Oji's work on how we might risk reading scripture together in an ecclesia of many voices. Through your work, class of 2017, I have become a little more acquainted with deity, by which I mean you have coaxed out my own timid aspirations 
and reawakened some of my trampled instincts. You have given me a few real hours of life by inviting me into your vision for a while. You have reminded me that the study of religion can be a way of loving the world, a way of bearing witness to all that we are and all that we might yet become. All of my colleagues could tell a similar story. In fact, in more than one faculty meeting this year and as recently as yesterday, when we have been discussing some difficult issue or other, a faculty member has raised a hand to remind us that we have a lot of wisdom and expertise on the issue at hand within our student body, and we should look to our students for guidance. At the end of this service, we, your proud teachers, are going to meet you on the threshold of this church. We're going to line up on either side and clap and cheer as you walk through the middle of us. We will be teachers and students together one more time. But then we're all going to walk back together over to HDS for a party. All of us indistinguishable, as the poet Fanny Howe once wrote, beneath an undiscriminating sky.
Blessed be your breath. May your breathing be deep and relaxed. May you breathe in power with every breath you take. Blessed be each breath you take. Blessed be the fire inside you. May your will be unbroken. And may it be as strong as fire and as supple. May your will be as strong as water and as supple. May your passions burn truly and free. Blessed be your fire. May it burn strong. Blessed be the waters of your life. May the waters of your life be strong. Blessed be all your life waters. Blessed be the body, the earth of your body. May your muscles be strong and fearless. May your heart beat with love, soul, vigor, and courage. Blessed be your body, which is the body of a God. Blessed be your spirit. May you always have health and spirit. May you be whole. Blessed be your spirit. May you always have community. May you be prosperous in all ways. May you love and be loved. May your voice, both your complaints and your special offerings to the world be truly heard. May you always be surrounded by the warmth of family and community. May you know the innate goodness of your being. Blessed be. Shema, a poem. Here, O Israel, the divine abounds everywhere and dwells in everything. The many are one. Loving life and its mysterious source with all our heart and with all our spirit, with all our senses and with all our strength. We take upon ourselves these promises to care for the earth and for all who dwell upon it, to pursue justice, to pursue peace, to love kindness and to love compassion. We will teach this to our children throughout the passage of the day as we dwell in our homes and as we go on our journeys from the moment that we rise up until the time that we fall asleep. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. 
Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. You who want knowledge, seek the oneness within. There you will find the clear mirror already waiting. May the tide that is entering even now, the lip of our understanding, carry you out beyond the face of fear. May you kiss the wind and then turn from it, certain that it will love your back. May you open your eyes to water, water waving forever. And may you, in your innocence, sail through this to that. All you who will walk this earth when we are gone, stir us awake. Behold through our eyes the beauty of this world. Let us feel your breath in our lungs and your cry in our throat. Let us see you in all the suffering beings. Haunt us with your hunger, hound us with your claims, that we may honor the life that links us. You have as yet no faces we can see, no names we can say, but we need only hold you in our mind and you teach us patience. You attune us to measures of time where healing can happen, where soil and souls can mend. You reveal courage within us we had not suspected, love we had not owned. All you who come after help us remember we are your ancestors. Fill us with gladness for the work that must be done. Those who work in harmony, where are 
if we can join ourselves in song. Where are we bound? Our hearts will live when we are gone. Here is my home. Come darkness, come light. Where are we bound? Come morning, come night. Here is my home. The spirit which finds music here. Where are we?